Well, good morning, church family. I'm glad you're able to join us this morning, and uh, after spending a few moments uh, recalling all of the things that we know to be true about God, uh, let's bow our heads as we commit our time uh, in the Word of God to Him in prayer. Father, we ask in our prayer to be uh, that you would clean our hearts, uh, that you would help us this morning to identify those things that are idols in our lives that can keep us from uh, experiencing uh, the true reality of your presence in our everyday uh, lives. Because uh, sometimes we can lose sight of that reality because uh, we do worship other things. We allow other things to come in the way of our communion with you, Uh, in our way of being able to uh, experience your presence as New Testament believers. And so, Father, may you guide us this morning uh, as we take a look at some of the things that can cause that to happen so that we can, uh, through the power of your Spirit, uh, create those uh, barriers, those roadblocks, uh, those uh, avenues of accountability uh, that can keep us and guard us against those things. And so, Father, we give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As you know, over the last uh, three weeks, this being the fourth week, uh, we have been taking a look at the presence of God. Uh, We have as our uh, jumping off point uh, Ephesians chapter 3, which we've been walking through the book of Ephesians together. And I I took a little bit of a a, a side mini uh, series uh, from Ephesians. uh, And verse 12 is what we have been taking a little deeper look at. Uh, where Paul, uh, under an inspiration of the Spirit, said, "...in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him." Uh, we had unpacked that verse uh, the very first week, and then we took a look at the presence of God uh, as it is seen in the Bible itself. Uh, we looked at the Old Testament and how God revealed Himself, how in the beginning He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, and His presence was with them uh, because uh, they were all holy." Uh, And then as sin entered the world, God uh, showed his presence in different ways to the point that the reaction to being in the presence of God was one of trembling and of fear, not being able to look at God in the face uh, because of man's sinfulness and and God's holiness. Uh, And then the second week, we took a look at the New Testament as we looked at the Lord Jesus Christ, where God uh, gave us the most beautiful picture of his presence in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, taking on flesh, walking amongst us, uh, showing us God uh, in real life. Uh, And uh, last time, we took a look at the presence of God in the church age um, as we took a look at the fact that something that changed from the Old Testament and the Spirit uh, of God coming upon people for a particular period of time, for a particular purpose, that every true believer in Jesus Christ is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so we have the very presence of God through the Holy Spirit indwelling each and every one of us as believers. And you'll remember I finished out last time uh, with the point that believers never lose the reality of God's presence. Uh, And uh, part of that uh, is something we'll take a look at in, in a few moments But what I'd like to do is that we begin today, um, we're going to start out in the book of Acts, uh, because I want you to see um, how distorted the reality of God is uh, through the eyes of sinful man. 
uh, as Paul in Acts chapter 17 is taking the time to actually use a touch point to share the gospel, to share who Jesus Christ is, to share who uh, the Holy Spirit is, who God the Father is, uh, as he addresses the Ariochimus, as he uh, talks about the unknown God. So Acts chapter 17, and we're going to begin reading in verse 22. And as we read this, you know, take note of what Paul is addressing and how people perceive who God is uh, from the stand uh, of being religious. So it says there, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown... This I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth." having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Verse 27, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we move and have our being, as some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of, of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. We'll stop there. Now, the reason I share this with you, and as we we use this as a platform to uh, springboard off into uh, what we're going to talk about today, is people that do not know God. And as we see here, as Paul is using something within the culture, something that uh, the people of Athens wanted to make sure that all the gods that they worshipped, that they didn't leave one god out, because uh, they had many gods uh, that they worshipped and pretty much made a god out of everything. And those things that he mentioned being gold, silver, stone, images formed by art or the imagination of man. And we've talked about uh, the fact that God has revealed in his word to us who he is that we don't have to imagine what he is like because he has actually revealed himself in the scriptures. We can see the presence of God from the beginning in the book of Genesis, and we can see it go all the way through to the book of Revelation, at which point Jesus Christ himself will once again come uh, and bring to himself those who belong to him uh, and actually bring, bring a hand of judgment upon those who don't know him. But see, those who do not know God through Jesus have a distorted reality of God because what they do is they actually make a a God of their own making. And the thing is, is we oftentimes think that gods have to be, 
you know, a, a carved image, you know, something that we actually, you know, produce as a shrine or something that we, you know, elevate uh, that makes it so uh, we, we worship something other than God. But the truth is, is we can make a God out of anything. You know, we can make a God out of things that we, we jokingly say that we, we love and we spend all kinds of time with if those things take precedent over actually worshiping the one true God, spending time with him, growing with him, then those things can become a God. And sometimes we can fall into exactly the same error as those who do not know God, who just want to make sure they cover all the bases and say, you know, this is, you know, a, an, an altar to the unknown God because God is anything that man makes him because that's what the world believes is that sometimes we can fall in that same error in our everyday lives, thinking that God is actually not there. Even those that have been redeemed, even those who have experienced rebirth through Jesus Christ, we can be just like them where we end up creating some sort of God or some sort of thing that causes us not to be able to see the reality of the presence of God. And so our challenge today as we take a look uh, at uh, the scriptures this morning is to not let that forgiveness be a reason to think that God is absent. You remember last time, and I began with this just a few moments ago, is that the last point I brought to you last week was that believers never lose the reality of God's presence. And it was multifaceted. There was multiple points that I brought forth Uh, And they're in summary right there, that we belong to him, that we are called by name, that we have eternal life and therefore will never perish, and we have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. And so, as believers, we never lose the reality or the sense of reality of who God is. But there is something that can happen. Because we cannot undo what God has done, we cannot change who God is. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He need not change. He is perfect in all of his ways. But sometimes we cannot see God for who he truly is because things come into play, things that we elevate and make uh, an idol of. You know, even sometimes the most simplest things we don't realize can become an idol. It doesn't have to be something made of gold, silver, or stone, something that we have formed of art or even in our imagination. Uh, It could be something very simple, close to home. And so today what we're going to do is realize that believers can lose the awareness of God's presence. Now, losing the awareness of God's presence doesn't change who God is. All it does is it changes our communion with the God who is ever-present, which as we will go back to week one, we talked about the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere present, that there is no place that we can go and hide from his presence. But that's different than his manifest presence, which he you know, showed in the Old Testament, which we see lived out in Jesus Christ as he walked the earth. We see lived out in the church age as the Holy Spirit indwells every true believer in Jesus Christ. But there are things in, that can cause us to lose the awareness of God's presence, to forget, as it were, that he's not there. Or to think that he is, you know, like the unknown God. 
because we allow other things to come into play that cause our seeing his presence, experiencing his presence in our walk and abiding with him each and every day through the power of the spirit that indwells us because we allow sin to come into play. The sin of forgetfulness, the sin of allowing something else to take the place of God. So before we take a look at some of the behaviors that can cause us to lose this awareness, there's a couple of scriptures I'd like to share with you. Um, the first coming out of Proverbs chapter 15, verse 29, it says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. You know, the wicked being those who do not honor God, who are sinful in the presence of God. Uh, and, and, and there are times even when believers, even genuine believers, can act wickedly. I know you're already excusing yourself from that and say, Pastor Bill, I'm not a wicked person. Well, anytime that we elevate sin or our desires or whatever we perceive as something of greater importance than God in our lives, then guess what? That's what the scripture calls wickedness. And we can act in that way before God. He says, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Deuteronomy 31.18 says, And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil they have done, because they have turned to other gods. And Micah chapter 3 verse 4 says, Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. So instead of man hiding his face in the presence of the God who is thrice holy, Because of his sin, here is the God of all hiding his face from those who have transgressed his law, who have sinned before him because their deeds are evil. And the thing is that all of us are still a work in progress. We are what, you know, we entitle uh, being sanctified. We are being made Christ-like in what we think and what we say and what we do. But the thing is, is that that is a, a process Um, It does not change who we are in Jesus Christ positionally because we belong to God. Remember, we've been bought with the price and that the Father will, through the Son, bring us home. Uh, We have eternal life. We have uh, that guarantee because Christ's blood paid our debt in full. But the thing is, is that there are things that can come into our lives that can cause us to act as if God is not there. Sometimes we, we, you know, envelop it or put things around it or make it so that others can't see it. And because others can't see it, therefore it doesn't exist. But the reality is, is that we cannot hide from God. There's no place we can hide at all, whether in the depths of the sea, even the remotest parts of the earth, even if we could leave this planet and go to the farthest reaches of what we know and even beyond, you cannot escape the presence of God. But as believers, we can lose an awareness of God's presence. And so we're actually going to very quickly take a look in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. And this is not going to replace when we get to chapters 4 and 5. But it helps us to better understand. And this list is by no means exhaustive. But we're going to take a look at some things that can impede us that we end up saying, you know, Lord, create a clean heart in me. Help me not 
to permit these things to come into my life because when I do, then I lose an awareness of your presence in my life. It's almost as if you don't exist, that you're not there. So the thing is, all sin does is deceive. It doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change who we are in Jesus Christ. It does not change the cost of our sin upon Jesus Christ on that cross. So the first one is pretty simple, lying. And we live in a culture today where it's almost as if truth does not exist. Everybody lies. It's become to the point where lying is just commonplace. But yet lying can keep us from being aware of God's presence in our lives. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Put away falsehood. Put away what we would even label as little white lies. Who's going to know the difference? It's a little white lie. Well, in relation to how the world sees it, yeah, it's a little white lie. But in the presence of Almighty God, who is thrice holy, lying is lying. No matter how we package it to make it seem less offensive, less you know, detrimental to us as believers. The scripture is saying there to put away falsehood. So lying, no matter what form or how we package it, can keep us from being aware of the presence of God. Second is being angry. This comes out of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, I know every last one of you in here has been angry at some point in your life. You may have been angry this morning. You may be angry sitting in the pew right now. You may be angry with me. And it's saying here that we should be angry and not sin. Because there is a such thing as holy anger. And we see the Lord Jesus Christ exhibited that when he cleansed the temple. He had a holy anger against what the people had done to his father's temple. But chances are that's not the kind of anger that you're experiencing this morning. Doesn't mean you can't. But the thing is, this anger that's talking about is not a, a, a righteous anger or a holy anger because you are upset about what man is doing to God and thinking wrongly about him. This is talking about an anger that is a result of maybe things not going the way we wanted them to, or because you live in Connecticut and that person, you know, came running up on your bumper, went around you and pulled right in front of you and kept on going. Yeah, Connecticut drivers are crazy. I've lived here long enough, I can say that assuredly. But see, anger can cause you to not be aware of the presence of God. So it says, be angry and do not sin. He says, give no opportunity to who? The devil. So when we become angry and it is not a righteous, godly anger against something, then guess what? We are giving an opportunity to the devil and therefore giving an opportunity for us to not see the awareness of God in our lives, his presence through his spirit. Third comes from that same chapter, verse 28, stealing. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. 
Stealing is taking something that does not belong to you. And even in our modern culture today, it's almost if stealing is really not stealing because, you know, no one's coming to stop those that are taking things out of people's businesses because the law is not being enforced as if the law does not exist. And just because we think something does not exist does not make it not exist. Same way with God. Just because we don't think God is present does not mean that God is not. We cannot change who God is. And it says here that even stealing, taking something that does not belong to us, so whether that is you know, something at work where you even take something as small as a paperclip. Now, unless you've been given permission by your boss to take those paperclips home and make all kinds of beautiful artwork with them or whatever you're going to do with them, if you take that home and don't have permission to do so, then that is taking something that does not belong to you. And it doesn't matter the size of it. Stealing is stealing, just like lying is lying, just like being angry is being angry. Stealing can cause us to lose the awareness of God's presence. Fourth, comes out of verse 29, and that is corrupt talk. It says, let no corrupt talking come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So how many times have your words gotten away from you? How many times have you allowed yourself or given yourself permission to reiterate something that you heard knowing full well that it is not something that is building up someone else, it's tearing them down. See, something as you know, simple as what the world considers acceptable language, acceptable slander or acceptable um, communication, acceptable gossip, whatever you want to label it, is something that can cause you to lose awareness of God's presence. That's why it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Not even one word. So the words that come out of your mouth should be good for building up one another, whether that is your spouse or your kids. That doesn't mean that you only just talk little sweet words and, you know, building up can be corrective in its way as well. It doesn't have to be, you know, you're just a very likable person because you talk so nice and you, you're, you're very kind in what you say. Okay, that's, it doesn't have to always be that way. You know, we are, we're supposed to, you know, allow our words to be something that are like salt, that, corru- you know, corrects that which is corrupted, um, that is fit for the occasion. Because sometimes you need to build up someone by showing them what God says about maybe a particular behavior they're doing. Sometimes it's just even talking to yourself. And now I'm not advocating talking to yourself as, you know, because then people start looking at you as if you're strange. But, you know, you know, I preach and teach to myself because I need it, because I need the word of God to speak truth into my life. And sometimes reading it is not enough. Sometimes you know, memorizing it, it's not enough. Sometimes I have to hear it audibly. Sometimes I need to hear it coming out of my own mouth so that I know that I'm believing what I'm saying or what I'm reading. Only that which is good for building up and fits the occasions to give grace to those who hear. 
Then the next verse is verse 30, which sandwiched, you know, right here in this, you know, list that we're going to continue on going. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's almost as if it's out of place, but it's not out of place because it's right there for you to see that right in the middle of lying, being angry, stealing, corrupt talk, and three more that we're going to take a look at, two of which the next two verses, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Because lying, being angry, stealing, and corrupt talk grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Just as Adam and Eve's sin in the garden grieved the Father as he walked with them and talked with them in the garden. So much so that, remember, he, he had to, to cast them out of the garden. He had to guard it with angels so they wouldn't come back to the tree of life. See, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, then we are not aware of the presence of God. We forget that the Holy Spirit indwells us 24-7. There's no place you can go and hide from the Holy Spirit. He is always with you. He is your comforter, your helper, your encourager, the convictor. He is the one that is right there when you confess that, that lie, that anger, those things you stole, those words that came out of your mouth that did not build up, to reestablish that sweet communion that you can have with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, chapter 4 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now, that pretty much just about wraps it up. I'm not sure there's another word that Paul could have used to speak to uh, being bitter or showing our actions in such a way that either we're speaking ill of somebody or we're causing disruption or we're maliciously acting towards someone or maliciously doing something towards someone. So whether we're thinking it, saying it, or doing it, Paul is saying Being bitter in this way, being active in this way, will cause you to lose the awareness of the presence of God. In verse 32, being unforgiving. It says, being kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And this is probably one of the harder ones to do. Because the thing will be, as Pastor Bill, you don't know what this person did to me. You cannot begin to understand what I'm going through. And the thing is, is I don't need to understand it because God does. And just because I don't understand it and only God does, doesn't mean that it's something that you should hold on to or do something contrary. Because when we are unwilling to forgive to be kind towards one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave us, those who are unforgivable, those who do not deserve God's grace and mercy because of our sin before a holy God. But see, it didn't change who God was. He had a plan before the foundation of the world that through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through faith in him and him alone, those who had transgressed God's law, those who were spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins could be made alive in Jesus Christ. So make sure that you are forgiving people as God in Christ has forgiven you because if you're unwilling to forgive somebody, no matter what they have done to you through speech or action, 
whether to your face, behind your back, that can be a hindrance and cause you to not be aware of the presence of God in your life. And the last one takes us to chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 3. And this is something that is very rampant in our society, something that you cannot look at billboards as you drive any longer without being exposed to this particular one. You can't turn on the television without it. You can't look on the Internet without things of this nature popping up. And that's sexual immorality. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. See, the thing is, what defines our culture a lot today is, you know, the, the whole idea that, you know, what I want to do sexually needs to be known by everyone, no matter whether it makes them feel comfortable or not. And so, therefore, we have to put forth our sexuality before the entire world so that they can see, you know, social media is just a, a you know, a platform of permission to tell everybody, you know, what I think, how I feel, you know, what I do sexually, so that everything I am can be for there for everyone to see. But don't judge me based off of that, because I am the one who gives me the permission to be that way, act that way. You know, the porn industry is very prominent in our society today. Our culture dictates that sexuality should be something up front, in our faces, even from toddler age. To the point of parents not knowing what to do in relation to showing their children whether they are male or female. See, this is the culture in which we live, and the thing is that culture can come in and permeate even the lives of believers. And the thing is, if we allow that sexual immorality, if we allow those things that, that draw us in because they're, they're visual in nature or you know, you know, making us more like the animal kingdom than we are being created in the image of God, then that can also cause us to not see or be aware of the presence of God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, in other words, wanting what other people have, must not even be named among you. It shouldn't even be on your radar, even though it's being permeated and and showered in every way. So how is it that you can guard yourself against that to remember that the Holy Spirit of God indwells you as a believer? And I'm not going to just leave you with this list of, you know, things that just say, well, you know what, that one didn't apply to me. That one might have, well, that one I'm actually doing. Because the goal is, is for us to not to lose the awareness of God's presence, to not forget that the Holy Spirit of God, who is the third person of the Trinity, who is God Almighty, indwells you as a believer. And to not pull him into everything that the world holds dear Pretending as if he doesn't exist or that he is not there or somehow if I just ignore him, he'll go away. It's not the case. If you've put your faith and trust in Christ, guess what? You're not getting rid of God. He is right there through the Holy Spirit that indwells you. 
So what should we do to safeguard against the loss of awareness? Because this is really where we can put into practice, we can put into play things that can uh, help us safeguard against falling into lying, being angry, stealing, corrupt talk, being bitter, being unforgiving, being sexually immoral. And as verse 11 of chapter 5 says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Know what they are, and through the power of the Spirit within you, pray to God and say, free me from this, guard me from this. Because the Spirit can do amazingly above all that we ask or think. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. First thing is to walk by the Spirit. It says in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Is it really that simple, Pastor Bill? Yes, it is. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. She means if I walk by the Spirit, I, that can keep me from lying or being angry or stealing or saying you know, things that tear down and being bitter and being unforgiving and battling with sexual immorality. Absolutely. Believe it. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So in other words, the spirit is right there to be that catalyst. He's right there to be that convictor. He is right there to do the very thing that you need so that you can be an overcomer when it comes to these things. And the thing is, you have to walk with him. And not push him away or not quench him, as the scripture says. But instead, walk with him, and then therefore, you will not gratify these desires. So walk with the Spirit. Second comes out of Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 14. This is, may seem a lot the same, but this is actually talking about living by the Spirit or being led by the Spirit. It says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So not only walk with the Spirit, but be led by Him. Let the truth of the Word of God permeate your thoughts, your words, and your deeds. Because the Spirit is not going to mislead you. He is not going to take you to a place that you should not go. We're the ones that take the Spirit to places that the Spirit should not go. When we give in to these things. But it says here, be led by the Spirit as a son or daughter of God. Third comes out of James chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, we studied this quite a few years ago, actually practically after I got here. And you'll notice the words there, submit, draw near, cleanse, purify, humble, devote. 
They're all words that are, are action words, things that you need to do in order to safeguard against falling into these things that can cause you to not be aware of the presence of God in your life. Submit to God. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Be careful to devote... Oh, actually, I'm looking at the wrong one. That's in Titus. Sorry. Devote's not in that passage. That's Titus chapter 3. Last one's humble yourselves before the Lord. So four four, or five things in that that passage. So I guess it must be ready for Titus chapter 3. So this is the fourth one. And the last one here. It says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So the last thing is, is to devote yourself to good works to devote yourself to the reading of the Word of God, which is a good work because God's Word will change what you think, what you say, and what you do. Devote yourselves to gathering together with other believers in Jesus Christ because gathering together isn't a, a form of accountability. Devote yourselves to quiet time. Devote yourselves to the things that pertain to God and not to this world. It says, be careful to do that. Because the thing is, is we, we devote ourselves to something each and every day. And the question is, what are we devoting ourselves to? What is the number one priority on that devotion list? And the thing is, God should not just be one thing on a list. Because when it says, be careful to devote, that means everything else on the list involves God as well. He's first and foremost on it, but he's also the one who takes you through each and every one of those things and should. Because remember, the Spirit is with you 24-7. And see, when we're aware of God's presence, two things out of the book of Psalms. First, we will know the deliverance of God, Psalm 46-1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. See, when we're aware of the presence of God, then we will know the deliverance of God. We will know that when the time of temptation comes, instead of giving into that temptation, we have a refuge, a strength in God Almighty. And we don't have to go looking for him because why? The Spirit of God indwells you. He is right there. All you have to do is ask. Second, we will experience the fullness of joy, Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, when we're aware of God's presence and we don't allow these things to come into our lives, then what we have is a joy, inexpressible. Because we're doing exactly the thing that God desires and knows is for our good. That's why he left his spirit to, to, to indwell every believer to safeguard what his son's blood paid for so that you would not be a slave to sin any longer, but instead would have victory over sin. So how should this inform our lives? If not, the last two were already practical. I'm going to give you a lot more, so at least three more in relation to being practical. First comes out of Lamentations chapter 2, verse 19. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of God. 
It says, Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Pour out your heart like water. You know, you ever turn on a faucet and just for a moment watched as the water poured out of the faucet or been by a stream and watched the water flow by? You know, it just efforts, efforts, I can't even say the word, effortlessly. I'll get it out. I'll have to figure another one out. It just keeps going. It's saying here that we should pour out our heart like water before the presence of the Lord. So in other words, hold nothing back. When we're in the presence of God, we should see ourselves as God sees us, that we should not, you know, step back in fear. We don't have to, to draw our gaze down because we have been redeemed. We belong to God. We have confidence to be able to come into the presence of God because of Christ, not because of who we are, but because of Jesus Christ who gives us that introduction as we learned Don't hide anything back. Don't hold anything back. Instead, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord and watch him work in ways you you never thought possible, giving you victory over anything and everything that can hinder you from experiencing his presence. Second comes out of Psalm 51, which we know well, where David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. See, this should be our prayer throughout the entire day because we are bombarded on all sides to not have a clean heart, to not have a clean thought. And see, the thing is, we need the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And praise the Lord that he does to keep drawing us back, to keep guarding our eyes against the things that we should not look at, to guard our mouths so that we don't say what we should not say. David's pouring out his heart, and it took a good friend in the prophet Nathan to show him his sin. Even though he took part in it, he couldn't even see it with his own eyes until Nathan confronted him and said, you are that man. Renew a right spirit within me. And finally, Psalm 95. Rightly come into the presence of God. Psalm 95, verses 1 to 3. It says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all. All gods. See, he's not just an unknown God, one God among many for the men of Athens. He is the only God there is. He is Almighty God. And it says here, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving, for the Lord is a great God. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God is great? Do you believe that the Spirit can free you from those things that cause you to not be aware of God's presence in your life? He can, and he does, each and every day, and sometimes in ways you don't even realize. 
He is a great king above all gods because he is the one true God. And it talks about coming into his presence with thanksgiving and singing songs of praises to him. You know, and you know, part of what we do is a part of our service, and, and I'm thankful for this, is that you know, our worship team does not come up here to perform before you. They come to bring you in the very presence of God, to worship you or to worship him in the way that you should. And John, this quote, you know, one of the good things about social media, came across my desk this past week after I'd written this sermon. It says, the music must not turn the church into an audience and join the music, but into a congregation singing the Lord's praises in his presence. See, that's what we've been redeemed to do. That's what we have been created to do, is to worship God in his presence. And everything that we do here on a Sunday morning isn't about me. It isn't even about you. It's about the worship of God. That's why we've gathered together, is to lift him up, to, to see him as the great king above all gods, that he is a great God. He is the great God. And as you live your Christian life each and every day, he has the ability to give you victory over the very things that you struggle with, the very things that you don't even know that you struggle with, things maybe he hasn't even revealed to you yet because you're not to that point. But don't underestimate what the power of the presence of God through the Holy Spirit in your life every day can do. Let's bow for a word of prayer as the worship team comes to close out our time this morning. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it is living and active, that it can cut asunder, that it can cut to the very depths of who we are. Lord, there are still things that you are working on in our hearts, in our minds, in our actions. Lord, we ask that your spirit would indwell us in the most powerful way so that we would not pretend as if he's not there, that we wouldn't allow uh, the things that can draw our awareness of your presence in our life every day, but instead that we be fully aware so that when we think about lying, that that thought, as quickly as it came into our minds, goes out. That the Spirit would not even give us the uh, opportunity to give in to that temptation, but would instead deliver us from evil. And so, Father, we thank you for these truths this morning. We ask that you would continue to show your great power as we close in song and we give thanks to you, who are the one and only great God of all, King above all kings, Lord above all lords. In Jesus' name, amen.